Welcome to the Fix Your Sciatica podcast, where we meet with experts and clients and discuss how to manage your sciatica and low back pain without the use of medications or surgery. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Mack, and I'm a physical therapist as well as the founder of iFixYourSciatica.com, a go-to resource for pain management. If you're joining us for the first time, thank you for listening. And if you are tuning in again, welcome back. And lastly, if you find today's episode or any of these episodes of this podcast to be helpful or insightful, please follow and rate this podcast on whatever platform you're using. The more followers and ratings we get, the more we can help people like you. And without further ado, let's get started. My relationship with fitness has changed throughout the years. And when I retired from collegiate swimming, I needed a new method of exercise and I've done various different bodybuilding programs. But one of the things that actually helped catapult my career into the health and fitness space was CrossFit. And as a physical therapist, a lot of people would tell me, wow, you're a physical therapist who deals with CrossFitters. You must be really busy. And the reality is that just like any other physical activity, there is going to be a risk of injury. And the reason why people hear mostly CrossFit related injuries is because CrossFit has been growing so quickly that the spotlight is on the sport of CrossFit or the activity of CrossFit. And there's a lot of misunderstanding. So in today's episode, we're going to be debunking a lot of the myths. And then also for those folks who are experiencing sciatica and want to get back into CrossFit, I want to give you hope that there is an opportunity for you to get back into training CrossFit and having the fun CrossFit workouts that you've always been planning, but with some modifications or some other things to think about when training. So today we have Dr. Ryan Cheney, who is the owner of of Invictus uh, Sports and Performance, who's also a physical therapist working with CrossFit athletes. So Ryan, how are you doing today? Doing great, how are you? I am doing awesome. And so I'm so thankful. Earlier last week, you actually had the opportunity to talk about swimming in sciatica. And today we're gonna be talking specifically about CrossFit and its relation into sciatica. So Ryan, can you share with us not necessarily how you got into physical therapy, but your experience with CrossFit and your take on it. Yeah. Uh, so very similar story to yours. Uh, I was a swimmer growing up and after I hung up my goggles and retired from that, I needed a new, uh, activity to, to fulfill my needs as a, as a athletic person, as somebody who likes to compete and push themselves. And CrossFit kind of filled that void for me and kind of went down the rabbit hole ever since. I've been doing it off and on for about 10 years now. Same. I remember when we were connecting, I was like, wow, I think we probably graduated physical therapy school and got into the physical therapy world kind of around the same time. And uh, for me, as I was doing CrossFit, I was doing CrossFit in graduate school and I was following a lot of CrossFit main site workouts. So here I was in this health sciences gymnasium filled with med students, nursing students, and they're doing their typical bodybuilding or like typical gym routine. And here I was trying to do thrusters and like having a, a seizure on a pull-up bar. And people are like, what is this guy doing? And I remember showing up to one of my classes with ripped hands. It was the first time I ever ripped my hands from pull-ups. And uh, stupid me actually had my classmate actually put liquid bandaid on my ripped calluses, which was don't ever do that. Cause I think I almost passed out in class because of how painful it was. Um, 
And so using that as my initial uh, form of exercise, and then I started at thinking, well, how can I tie this into my clinical practice, um, especially with the aspect of CrossFit being uh, a focus on functional movement, functional training. And it really got me thinking, well, what is functional training to, to begin with in the first place? And so um, I think a lot of people, when they think about CrossFit, they think about what they see on ESPN or they think about their friend who got hurt with CrossFit. Ryan, could you tell the audience what what the what CrossFit is so we can really uh, dispel a lot of the confusion about it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so technically speaking, it was a methodology developed by Greg Glassman, uh, who was the former CEO of CrossFit. And his big idea was constantly varied uh, functional fitness based on 10 big movements. Um, and kind of the idea was we wanted as much carryover as possible into everyday life. Um, and again, a, a lot of the programming and the intensities and stuff, he, he wanted to help people that were um, typically doing physically demanding jobs whether that was more like military, um, first responders, even construction workers, honestly, and uh, just the everyday average person, because we don't typically get that kind of stimulus much anymore. Mainstream fitness is still very much elliptical, bicep curls and uh, machines, which there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's just a different approach to things. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, People give CrossFit a uh, kind of a, a bad name, as you kind of um, kind of alluded to, and part of that was its massive rise in popularity, and it, it just felt like anyone and anybody could open a CrossFit gym, and suddenly it was popping up everywhere, and people were trying to figure out these very at times technical movements, um, these very different types of movements. And so a, I would say there's a pretty strong even meme culture around CrossFit and, the, and some of the stuff there. And going off of this aspects of functional fitness, functional training, uh, listeners out there, you probably heard that over the past, say, five to eight years, functional fitness has been a real big buzzword uh, in the fitness industry because it's like all functional training, all functional training. And the reality is that functional training, in essence, the definition of it is being able to it, functional training is its application into daily activities. So squats is like getting on and off the toilet, in and out of the couch, on and off a chair. Deadlifts is picking something up from the floor. It could be a barbell, but it could also be a child. It could also be a big bag of cat food. So being able to implement whatever exercise you're doing in the gym and apply it to outside of life. But then also there's a lot of really cool benefits because functional training requires multiple joints to be moving. And when you have multiple joints, you actually have the potential of generating a lot more force. And one thing that was really cool about CrossFit was uh, focusing on the concept of intensity and the intensity is the ability to, uh, in, in a way, like I think um, in one of the journals, it was like the amount of work that you do per unit of time. And so it allows you 
to, in essence, ramp up the intensity, make things a little bit harder, which allows you to get a true change in either your physiology, your nervous system, or how you function. And so as physical therapists, this gives us an opportunity to really nerd out about CrossFit itself and its impact on its athletes, on the people who participate in it. But then also because we're physical therapists, we can have a unique perspective on its relationship to injury. So sciatica pain affects us all. And it's not only limited to people in the CrossFit world, but as someone who does CrossFit, what are some mechanisms or ways that someone who does CrossFit experience sciatica? Yeah. Um, again, kind of got me thinking back to even the last time we spoke in that a lot of the movements are in the sagittal plane, which again, there's nothing wrong with. It's just, that's what we're doing a lot of. And um, what can happen is again, a lot of flexion extension moments in things like the deadlift, even in something like a back squat, um, you get some, honestly, a lot of movements, kettlebell swings, um, there there's loading of the spine and in instances, again, if we have a perfect storm of maybe we're not recovering enough, maybe nutrition's been a little bit off. And then suddenly we're doing a lot of these high intensity things. We're at a, uh, you know, increased risk for potentially setting something off in our back. Um, and one of the interesting things though, is I was looking at some of the old articles on CrossFit and injury rates and stuff like that. There was a notorious one from the NSCA years ago that, um, has now mostly been debunked as them trying to slander CrossFit's good name, I guess. Um, but in some of the later articles looking at injury rates and, um, you know, looking across and how safe CrossFit is, it, it actually has a really low injury rate, very comparable to powerlifting and gymnastics, which, Hey, both of those things are parts of CrossFit. Um, and the biggest predisposing uh, risk for developing injury in CrossFit is pre-existing injuries and uh, either overtraining or undertraining. So I thought it was really interesting too. We are going to take a quick break to tell you about our awesome new program called the Sciatica Protocol. If you don't have the time to see a professional, but are tired of trying to figure out this recovery on your own, then the sciatica protocol is for you. Harness the power of a knowledgeable physical therapist through your phone. It takes no more than seven minutes per day, and it is designed to help you recover as quickly as possible. Now, having an on-demand physical therapist can cost thousands plus hours of sessions. But with the sciatica protocol, you'll receive the same, if not better, customized care completely free. And why are we making this program free? Because I believe that everyone deserves to live free from pain without actually having cost be the biggest obstacle. It is simple to start and all you need to do is log into ifixyoursciatica.com forward slash the dash sciatica dash protocol and fill out the nine question quiz to begin. The link for the program is in today's show notes. So let's talk about pre-existing injuries. Um, I've said this before, um, and if you listen to this podcast, you've heard that if you have had sciatica in the past, past, uh, unfortunately, you are going to be at a higher risk of developing sciatica sometime in the future. 
we're still not really quite sure why you're a little bit more predisposed, uh, predisposed, but the data shows that if you experience it in the past, it might come up in the future. And so um, being aware of your previous injuries is actually going to be really, really impactful in regards to affecting your ability to participate in an activity like CrossFit, not because it's going to hold you back, but it's going to be important for you to understand how you got hurt in the first place. So then that way you don't have to re, re repeat that incident, uh, say in a CrossFit gym. And so let's break down some of the movements in CrossFit that people often see, um, and, and kind of tie it in in regards to how could that relate to something like sciatica. So we'll, we'll like, I'll let you, you know, talk about one specific exercise that you're like, Oh, cool. This is something I want to talk about. And then I'll go another exercise as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think the, the biggest one staring us in the face would obviously be deadlifts. Um, even outside of the world of CrossFit, deadlifts still kind of get this notorious rep um, as being questionably safe or dangerous. People aren't really sure. People get really nervous when they see people's uh, spines round as they're lifting. And it, it's very gray and murky, um, especially in the world of social media. And, you know, even looking back at myself, um, I, I was initially, um, introduced to CrossFit, became a trainer, and that led me to, uh, pursuing physical therapy because I wanted to be able to help some of my athletes, including ones with sciatica type symptoms and had no idea what to do. And, um, again, just my own evolution as somebody that was very dogmatic with, things like neutral spine, um, making sure that you are properly bracing your core and, um, just again, very, very specific on technique. And as I've learned over the years, uh, not only with myself, but with my athletes and, uh, with my physical therapy degree and the, and the research is that again, spinal flexion isn't something that needs to be, uh, turned into this big, scary thing. Like don't ever bend your back again. Um, and even, um, uh, we're, we're so good at fooling ourselves because even with a trained expert looking at your spine and you're like, yep, that's flat. There's no flexion there. Um, the research shows otherwise. Sometimes there's, uh, I think it was 20, 30 degrees of flexion, even with a straight back. And so it seems to be much more related to, again, volume management, um, making sure that we have adequate recovery strategies and, uh, and those big boring things I've talked about before. Yeah. A ton of sense. And so we're looking at, um, I mean, form is one piece, but then also load management and volume management because too much of a good thing, uh, is not necessarily the best, right? You eat too many carrots, you're going to turn orange and have a whole bunch of other things. You eat too much, uh fruit and uh you know you have all these other pieces um deadlifting is one of my favorite things to do and um i find that uh when i'm rehabbing a client um and getting them back into deadlifts a lot of my um activity a lot of my treatment is actually helping them manage the weight the volume but then also helping uh, dispel a lot of those myths about deadlifting in a way those myths is instill a, a fear 
that we have in various different motions, picking something up from the floor, bending forward. And because we have that fear, we can be a little bit more at risk, more predisposed to actually irritating some nerves because our body is on such high guard. And so giving our bodies permission to say, it's totally okay to flex at your hips. It's totally okay to bend at your spine sometimes. And so that's gonna be the key. And I don't know if you've ever laughed at this, but if you ever, go to say like a Best Buy or even when you go to the airport and you have and you have like a bag that weighs more than 50 pounds, they slap like the overweight um, sticker on, on your luggage. And if you look at it, every time they're picking stuff up, like one, they're drawing stick figures. So stick figures always have a straight back, right? But number two, they're actually picking something up with an upright torso. And the reality is the fact that yes, you can do that, but it might not necessarily be the most efficient way to pick that object up. And it's all really dependent on your anatomy. But in essence, deadlifts are actually pretty safe if done correctly and managed correctly as well. Um, And there's a lot of research studies that actually talk about the use of deadlift training on the treatment of back pain. Um, And I don't know, may or may not be in his treatment of sciatica as well, but I know that when I'm working with my clients, that once we bring the pain down, we're getting them back into picking stuff up on the floor because of that's a, that's a thing that we do every single day. We have to pick up our shoes. We have to pick up our kids. I have to pick up this pen that I just dropped from my desk, right? So it's things that we need to do every single day. Um, another movement that you often see, uh, and one of the things I thought Crossy did a great job was, was actually making barbell training very accessible to the normal general population. Because when you go to a typical gym and you go and look at the free weights, the barbell is probably one of the scariest things because it's a big object, it's heavy, and people are like, what am I going to do with this? And CrossFit actually made it more accessible for people to experience barbell training. And so I look at barbell back squats, front squats, or any sort of squatting motion with load. Um, one thing that I often like to geek out is the concept of movement at the hips. And um, what I find when I'm working with patients, getting them back into uh, squatting correctly, um, most uh, a fair amount of people actually have either the habit of overextending their spine. They're trying to arch and puff their chest up when they're getting themselves ready to receive load, or they end up rounding forward because their hips or their hamstrings are too tight, or they just haven't felt what it's like to actually use their hips. And so we're looking in the squatting position when it comes to this relation with sciatica is that you can either have like a flexion based injury which could actually irritate the sciatic nerve because you could be irritating the disc, which could be pushing out the nerve. Or if you're having an extension-based injury where you're arching your back a little bit more, the closure of your spine could actually irritate the nerves that exit the spine to begin with. So a large part of it is helping understand what mechanisms are at play to ensure that our spine stays relatively straight or relatively not straight but relatively consistent and i think that's the big thing having a consistent spinal shape and the reality and 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 i think ryan will agree with this is that the the majority of the time our spines they they should be more of a stabilizer they're not the prime movers they can move weight but the way that it's built it's used to maintain our posture and we have our other joints our shoulders and our hips that are going to be impactful and being able to move weight facilitate movement and so 
if you're someone who is experiencing like a sciatica from like a squat based injury, we would have to take a look at, well, what's happening during the squat that's irritating these symptoms in the first place. Could it be the position of your hips, the feet, how you're moving the weight distribution, but then also we have to figure out is the squat that you're doing the right squat for you? Everyone's body is built a little differently. And we do have some say textbook, baselines requirements to say, okay, if you're going to squat, this is what you'd be shooting for, but no one knows your body better than yourself. So if you feel as if your positioning is not the most optimal with your feet underneath your hips, step your feet out a little bit wider, play around with that foot rotation. So you can see what can I do to keep my spinal position consistent? Um, Ryan, any other comments on squatting and uh, its role in, in, in back and sciatic pain? Yeah, I, I think you did a great summary there. And again, share a lot of the same approaches when it comes to uh, rehabbing or coaching a squat. And um, I love that you mentioned, again, that everybody's a little bit different, just like we have unique fingerprints. Um, yes, we all have hands and everything, but we're, we're all a little bit different. And uh, even outside of anatomy, um, experience with a barbell can be a big thing too. Um, not to mention, you know, previous injuries, mobility restrictions, as you kind of said, upstream, downstream from the spine that could be contributing to our challenges. And, um, I probably the only other thing I would throw on there, um, and it, it's just fresh in my mind. I just, um, graduated somebody from PT who was dealing with a lot of extension based, uh, symptoms with deadlifting and in her squat is, um, again, just trying to, to frame it in a way for my athlete so that number one, they're not scared. Um, and number two, that they understand that, Hey, we're just trying to tweak one, two variables so that they can get back into lifting. And for her, that meant, um, you know, we were squatting to a box. We were limiting some of that range because that um, slight motion that was occurring um, with a deeper squat was a bit irritating. Um, she was someone that kind of favored that hyperextension strategy to lock down the spine. Um, and then just, yeah, encouraging to find, uh, you know, temporary solutions to offload the irritated area so that she could you know, ultimately get moving again. And I think that's such a, a big important thing is a lot of people, they, they have back pain or their shoulder starts really bothering them and they just stop everything because they, they're not sure what to do. And just we as physical therapists, like one of our the best things we can do, I would argue, is just like showing people how they can move, train around their injury a little bit. And then as it settles down, just gradually re-exposing them and getting them back into uh, fully being able to participate. Right on. And uh, do you recall what the reaction was from your client who was finally able to squat without, without irritating their, their, their nerves? Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, <sighs> People, everybody, myself included, having dealt with injuries, there's our, our brains and our nervous systems, maybe this is too much rabbit hole, are predictive systems. So as we're trying to navigate space or 
we're asking our body to do a specific task, in this case, a, a squat, there's this expectation now because we've had this injury that, oh, I'm, it's probably going to hurt. It's probably not going to feel good. Um, and I'm just going to kind of tense up and, and do what I can. And violating that expectation um, is sometimes a pleasant win, definitely a victory in not only uh, demonstrating safety to the body, but to that person that, oh, wow, it it actually didn't hurt. It, it felt okay. And hey, maybe I am on the bend. There are solutions to my problem. Um, so call it a, a pleasant surprise for my client. And again, it, it's not always um, an easy win like that. We, we definitely had some ups and downs along the way, but victories like that. And then later she reached out to me like a week later and was like, Hey, I was able to deadlift 200 plus pounds, had zero symptoms. Um, just compounding those, those small victories is it's huge. Compounding small victories is really important, especially when you are at a point where you're not really sure if you are in fact making progress and being able to see what those steps are. And this is actually why it's so important if you are either working by yourself or working with a practitioner of being able to establish a baseline. You don't know if you're making improvements unless you know the parameters of where you're at. And so that's going to be a, a very important piece. So let's talk about folks who are currently listening to this podcast and are experiencing pain, but then they're also CrossFitters and they want to still move. Um, can they actually train around that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And again, kind of like we touched on last week, um, you know, if you're having an acute episode of back pain or sciatica related pain, um, you know, it's okay to take a day or two to just kind of mend up a little bit, but then I want to get you moving. And again, there are so many ways that we can find an entry point for you. It just, again, can take a little bit of trial and error. And that's where working with a practitioner can be so helpful, especially somebody who understands um, your sport or your activity. And um, again, just referring back to the, the same person I was working with, just fresh on the mind, um, you know, deadlifts straight up hurt her back and she did not feel great with it. And so, the only modification we made really is like, okay, I, I want you to keep deadlifting. You're just going to do it sumo. And that simple modification, just shortening the lever arm a little bit, putting her in a little bit more of a, a squatty position was enough to, to where she could start lifting again. And, um, you know, nowhere near max numbers, but again, a different stimulus, one that feels safe and that kind of gives her some, um, hope that we can get back into normal activity. Um, the, the other thing I would be looking at too is are there ways to kind of modulate your pain? So, um, you know, looking at your exercise program, does it respond well to things like nerve glides? Are there exercises that can kind of help centralize things or calm it down to a point? Do you need an extended warm up on a, uh, a bike or something? And once those symptoms are under control, um, you know, let's, let's find stuff to work on. Like I mentioned, whether it might be sumo deadlift or, 
um, box squatting, or maybe we're uh, throwing some old fashioned uh, core isometric training. Not that your core is weak. It's just, it's what your body's tolerating right now. Um, yeah. There's many ways to skin a cat. And one of the things I loved about CrossFit is that even at the beginning of CrossFit's growth, it was, it's talking about its infinite scalability and scalability is the opportunity to make the changes that will actually work for you. And I loved CrossFit's original image where it was like, you have this big bodybuilder type CrossFit games athlete doing one workout. And then you have the 75 year old grandma who's right next to him doing like the similar workout, but doing movements that actually worked for her and her body type and her current ability. And so there's opportunities for you to be able to train around. You can either, as Ryan said, change the, the load, the, num the number of repetitions that you do, implement different warmups, but then also even changing up the movements. And what I found is for someone who's experiencing a lot of sciatica pain um, and that gets worse with squatting, but they want to be able to train their legs, if we test out and lunges actually produce no symptoms or have no effect, then we're looking at, okay, instead of squats, you're going to do lunges instead. You can still get your heart rate up. You can still make your legs really sore, but you won't be putting yourself at risk of irritating those nerves or that pain that you were going through. And so that was the, the biggest thing. And that's what actually got me hooked because of the fact that it created this norm in most gyms, this norm where you can say, I can't do this movement or this movement isn't for me. I'm going to go ahead and ask and seek out modifications. And Listeners, if you are currently part of a CrossFit gym or even like a functional fitness gym, your coaches are there. They're not just there to tell you the exercises to do. You can find workouts online for free, but you are paying your membership to this CrossFit gym, to this functional fitness gym for coaching. And that is actually their job to make the necessary changes for you. And one thing that would often break my heart back at the gym that I owned was people felt so timid and scared to actually ask me if they can make modifications. They would often say, man, I don't want to bother you, or I don't want to trouble you. I don't want to give myself any attention. But the reality is, is that coaches are not just workout facilitators. We're not there to scream in your face. We're not there to tell you to go faster. We are, we are, we will help tell you to go faster if we know that you can, but then also we are there to change things for you for the better so you can get the most out of your workout. So I give you permission to tell your coaches, tell your clinicians what is working, what isn't working so they can make those changes for you because that is exactly what you are. That's exactly what they're paid to do. Um, okay, so let's talk about uh, the, um, another big elephant is the, the confusion that people have, um, mostly medical professionals have with CrossFit. So I often get told a lot. Um, they're like, oh, my doctor said to never do CrossFit ever again. I'm actually had that conversation recently. So when, whenever you hear that statement, Ryan, what, what's your response? I'll, I'll tell you my response in a second, but I'm interested to hear what your response is. Yeah. Um, again, a lot of times I ask, what is this medical professional's background and familiarity with uh, not only sporting activity, but more specifically CrossFit and weightlifting. Um, and again, it's something that is very slowly starting to shift. You're starting to see more docs, surgeons, um, PTs, chiros, 
start to understand that, okay, it's not as dangerous as we first thought. Um, but yeah, it's, it's still pretty common to hear like, Oh, if that hurts, then you need to stop doing that. And again, just the biggest thing and probably the best thing that my fellow medical professional uh, professionals could do is to go and understand these, uh, different activities. So if you're working with a lot of climbers, go experience climbing firsthand or bodybuilders or powerlifters. And the more that you can get a firsthand experience, I think that takes away a lot of the um, fear. I would say it's fear driven that people are going to hurt themselves more. And again, it's kind of hard to blame them as a healthcare practitioner, right? First rule is do no harm and we want to make people feel better. So removing the potentially painful stimulus is always kind of our, our knee jerk reaction. And that's where I would say if, uh, if you don't understand these things and maybe you don't have the time to do so, then maybe forming a, uh, some kind of therapeutic alliance with practitioners that do understand it would be the next best thing. It's like, Hey, I don't know everything about this. I can't know everything about this. So I'm going to send you to someone who does and can get you back into those things you love. Um, and again, it's such an uphill battle and I'm sure you, you feel the same way for us. Um, just because people and, uh, they, they go see a doctor first, they get their imaging, they're told all these things that are wrong with them. They're told they should never do these things again. And we have to spend a lot of time just, whoa, let's take like three steps back, try to challenge these biases that are now probably firmly cemented into your head by another healthcare practitioner who, who doesn't understand or doesn't have the knowledge base to actually give you effective information on this. Right on. Yeah. Being able to uh, ensure that the the person that you're working with is properly educated on the sport, or at least has some sort of an understanding. Um, I think it all goes back on the world public perspective on what CrossFit is, especially with its meteoric rise and um, especially its coverage via ESPN and all those other big major networks where everyone's seeing it. Um, I think also what's tough is the fact that because CrossFit actually covers so many different aspects of fitness, because it does gymnastics, it does weightlifting, it does metabolic conditioning, it has all these different factors. And so it's kind of like the easier way out to say, don't, don't do any of this specific category of activity versus, okay, let's take a little bit of a deeper dive and figure out, well, what are your issues, what's challenging you. And so when I meet someone who says, oh, my doctor told me to never do CrossFit, I kind of have the same thought of, okay, well, where does this doctor understand CrossFit? But then also, as you've done is play a little bit of detective and saying, okay, well, what, what, what are the biases? What are the biggest challenges that this person is trying to overcome? And I'm not here to tell someone that a doctor's wrong. Right. Um, I think it is important for us, especially as medical providers, and we are working as a multidisciplinary team, is to be able to clear out some of the confusion, the lack of clarity 
And so being able to understand, okay, you are capable of doing X, Y, and Z, but being able to say, this is how we're going to be able to change it. And I think that therapeutic alliance, that healthcare alliance is going to be really huge because the reality is that there are a lot of things that I don't know. And rather than trying to waste my time and a patient's time, if I'm presenting with a problem that I don't know about, it is going to be better for that patient, for that client to actually get in touch with the right professional. So then that way they can get serve the best. And so what I often would say is like, okay, tell me a little bit more about that. What about this activity? What about CrossFit? Do they not like it? And they're like, oh, they don't like the deadlifts. Oh, well, if we take out deadlifts, would your doctor be happy with CrossFit? Yes. Great. We're going to take out deadlifts. Right. And so stuff like that, being able to work, um, work around it, which is going to be, um, really, really key. So there's definitely a lot of confusion, but the great thing about CrossFit again, is it's infinite scalability of what you're able to do. So an example, if you see a workout and it has a whole bunch of deadlifts, but you know, deadlifts are pretty, are, are not feeling very good for you. We can do change it up, do a sumo deadlift, just like Ryan was saying, or we can even do something as simple as a lunge, or it can be entirely upper body. You have your entire body, you have two arms, two legs, you have a core. We have a lot of different areas that we can work around. And, um, the, the injuries that you, uh, uh, that you go through don't necessarily have to stop you from activity. We just need to be able to find ways to work around it. But then when you work with professionals like Brian and myself, we can actually come up with solutions to actually address that problem. Um, let's talk about recovery. Um, I think you were taught, we were talking about like overstimulating some mechanics, but then let's talk about the recovery aspect as well. And I think especially, um, with social media and everything is telling us like, okay, you got to train hard all the time. You have people who are like, I'm, I'm waking up at 4.30 AM every single morning. I'm super productive. I'm working out seven days a week. The last episode we were talking about the level of training sessions that we had per week as competitive swimmers, um, as CrossFit athletes, let's talk about some recovery strategies that people in CrossFit can use to make sure that they can reduce the level of reduce the the risk but then also help them feel good so they can go into the gym workout to workout yeah absolutely um yeah i i think you um what am i trying to say here hit the nail on the head with regards to like all the things we as crossfitters are bombarded with between topical cbd creams or like oral ingested um, CBD, cryo cuffs. And I think probably the most ridiculous thing I've seen thus far on rogue is literally an ice barrel. It's just plastic has a little drain and it's selling for like 1200 bucks. And, um, just in the back of my mind, um, you know, CrossFitters, we, we want to recover. We want to perform like our favorite athletes, like the Rich Fronings, the Matt Fraser, uh, Tia Claire Toomey's, and probably the one of the biggest pieces of advice that if I could give myself years ago too is you are not them. And I got to see on a firsthand experience while I was in Fort Wayne, Maine. That's the Misfits headquarters, and I used to work out there and got to see and actually work out a couple times with some games level athletes, and they literally. Like their nine to five is training. They train in the morning, they eat, they rest, they recover. They've got the cuffs. 
They train some more. All their meals are planned out for them. They have scheduled naps and massages and, and whatever. They have all these resources available to them. And we don't have that. We're, we're just average people every day trying to stay healthy, in shape, and strong so that we can continue to do the things that we love. And we need to keep that in mind that we, we don't necessarily need to train like the games athletes. And even for myself, um, I have found that I'm much more healthy and feel a lot better if I'm just doing CrossFit maybe two to three times a week. And then I'm doing some other kind of cross training and that might be yard work, which is so much fun. Uh, mountain biking, climbing, skiing. So I'm just doing some different um, types of activity. And I'm also just monitoring my, um, you know, how I'm feeling day to day. Because um, CrossFit can be a very potent stimulus when you do something like a Fran that's, you know, three minutes, but then you're dying on the floor for an hour and you're sore for the next two, three days, like, Hey, maybe we should um, prioritize recovering first before we throw ourselves back into the, the furnace. Um, and so recovery strategies you kind of touched on earlier is communication with your coach. And that was something personally that helped me a lot too. Cause when I first started CrossFit, I was doing five days a week, and I was doing paleo and I was just getting really run down. And one day I just stopped and asked my coach, like, I just feel like trash. And like, like I, I feel like I'm not getting stronger. I'm tired all the time. And he's like, you've been here like six days in a row, haven't you? It's like, yeah. And he's like, you need to take a rest day. You need to eat more. Uh, you need more carbs and just kind of helped guide me and find what was a, a better, um, amount of training to recovery. And that helps me start suddenly my, my performance started skyrocketing and, and I felt a lot better. So communicating with your coaches, listening to your body a little bit. Um, and then again, kind of like we, we talked about before the flashy, shiny things like massage guns, CBD and stuff. Sure. It, it can make us feel better, uh, probably temporarily, um, but the long-term value in these things, I would rather spend it doing something else. Um, and again, just quickly, I'll, I'll touch on, um, heat, cold massage. These are rather heat and cold. Um, people love like the cryo cuffs and the ice baths and stuff. There's actually some research to show that it can attenuate, um, hypertrophy gains and recovery from uh, intense exercise. So it might make you feel better, but your body is actually still going to be beat up. And because we are delaying that, um, inflammatory, the necessary inflammation and then recovery in the muscles and tissues, um, you're, you're actually going to hinder yourself, uh, potentially long-term. So it, it's important to have, um, soreness, stiffness, these sorts of signals to our body, to let us know that it's time to, to build back up. So hopefully I answered your question there. I felt like I went all kinds of directions with that answer. It was, it was fantastic. I think what a lot of people overlook is being able to communicate with their coach. Um, 
listeners earlier in this podcast, I was telling you that you have permission to tell your coach that you're experiencing aches and pains and what are the best ways to work around it? Because that's their job as coaches. But then also just like what Ryan did, if you're exhausted, tell them because it's their profession. They're there to help you. And if it's like, okay, you know what? You're exhausted. Go home and sleep. That is going to be a really crucial and beneficial tool. And I'll tell you when I've worked with a lot of my strength athletes and a lot of my training clients, if they're like, Ashley, I've had zero sleep last night. The last thing I would have them do is do something really intense to get their heart rate up because they're already beaten down. And the most interesting thing is the fact that us as humans, and I've said this on many podcasts and uh, in conversation, but one of the many things that separates us humans from other animals is our ability to override the signals that we're getting from our body. Because if you look at a dog, if they're walking on a hot summer's day and they're tired, they're going to sit in shade. And no matter how hard you pull them, they're not going to move, right? Because their brains are telling them that they're overheated, they're tired, they need to rest. That doesn't really happen very often in the human mind, though, because we're in a society where it's like the harder you work, the better results. So as you get tired, you push on through because the higher center, higher brain processing centers of your brain is going to say, no, just one more rep, one more rep. And it works in our favor because we are able to push human performance to the limit. But it also can be serving as our detriment because when our bodies are in fact telling us that we in fact need to make a change or rest, if we ignore them, that's where we can run the risk of experiencing uh, issues. And one of my, uh, one of my early influences, Dr. Perry Nicholson, uh, stop chasing pain chiropractor. He defined pain as pain was the body's uh, request for a change. And so it says those signals are telling you, you need to change something up, whether it be sleeping more, removing whatever activity, but it's telling us that we need to address this matter at hand or else something further down the road is going to be uh, a little bit more problematic. So listen to your body and you're, I 100% agree with Ryan. You don't need to purchase those super expensive recovery tools. You have recovery tools at your disposal and they're free, which includes sleeping, eating healthy foods, not necessarily kicking out a specific food group. Carbs are good. I love eating carbs. I ate a whole bunch of spaghetti this week and I was very, very happy. My body felt really great. But being able to understand what your body needs and you can do this by do by completing a very simple body check, both in the morning and also before you work out, being able to say, what am I experiencing? Is this going to be a day that I'm going to be able to push myself and push myself to the limit? Or is this something where I need to take a little bit of a break? And you could eat some, a slice of humble pie if you'd like, but instead of trying to like look at it that way, just say, this is what I'm doing to take care of my body. And there's going to be another day of training. There's going to be another day of working out. And there's plenty of opportunities for you to push forward and be able to listen to your body is going to be key. All right, Ryan. So from there, um, I think we covered like a large portion of, of CrossFit and its relation to both like sciatica pain, but also just injury prevention in general. Um, I know that uh, you work with CrossFit athletes specifically. So if we're looking at CrossFit athletes who are like, okay, I'm ready to get back into it, but I'm scared. I don't know what to do. I think you'd be a great person to, uh, to, to get linked up again. What is the best way for people to get in touch with you? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so easiest way is on social media. I'm pretty active there. My Instagram handle is at Invictus PT and Performance. Uh, I have a Facebook page, Invictus Physical Therapy and uh, Sports Performance. And then you can also reach me via my website and email. Um, website is InvictusPTCO.com. And then email is rchaney at InvictusPTCO.com. Awesome. Ryan, thank you so much for your time today. Um, listeners, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you got some help from today's podcast. And for more info, check us out at ifixyoursciatica.com. Have a fantastic and pain-free day. No patient-therapist relationship is formed by listening to this podcast. We are not providing medical advice, and all information should be confirmed by a medical provider. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done.